This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hey, everybody, this is Z Prime On the Grid. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dylan. I'm excited for today's episode. Our guest that we have on, I've actually tagged along on some of his projects. So I'm excited to have Adrian here with us to chat about some of the work that he's done. Yeah, uh, me me too. Uh, We're going to dive right into it uh, on the show today. We have Vice President of Digital Transformation and Strategy at Daito Design, Adrian Garcia. Adrian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, Aaron and I have uh, co-conducted contextual inquiries uh, at nuclear power plants. Yeah. Let's get started. Happy to talk. Yeah, let's do it. We're talking about uh, digital transformation in today. Um, very, very poignant, to- very poignant topic. So uh, let's let's start at the very roots roots of it um, with kind of your de- design minded uh, brain on the job. What does digital transformation mean to you, Adrian? And uh, how do we sort of take it out of the abstract? How do we define it? Yeah, I think taking it out of the abstract is uh, pretty important because the reality is uh, digital transformation, whenever you look at the success rates, has been pretty hard for uh, companies to get a handle on. And whenever you look at who's struggling the most, it usually comes from uh, energy and utility companies. Um, and I think a part of a part of that is because uh, it isn't it's still a bit of a nebulous topic. And so I think making it simple, less abstract, uh, more understandable will help uh, improve some of the success rates. So currently right now, about 70% of digital transformation efforts fail. Uh, and that, that the biggest proportion of that's coming from energy and utility companies. Uh, and so 2019, a study by Harvard Business Review Uh, was showing that the executive teams coming out of of 2019, uh, risk mitigation was their top concerns for executives uh, uh, across a multitude of industries. Uh, And I I would suspect that uh, risk mitigation is is incredibly high for energy and utility companies. So I think a part of this is the confusion around what it is and how to do it. But I think the good news is that uh, digital transformation, the concept of it shouldn't be complicated. So it has this new... uh, uh, name digital transformation, but in the reality, it's just um, uh, business as as usual. So it's thinking about how to perform at your best as a company. Uh, and so what this means today for companies that are not uh, uh, digital native natively born uh, digital or digital natives, um, what this means for them is modernizing their business infrastructure to become a better company. Now, mostly, now what that means for each company will change. So this is where the business strategy uh, is really important to define the vision and the strategy, the long-term outlook. Um, but for most, uh, for most companies, uh, digital transformation, modernizing the infrastructure is really about driving efficiency gains uh, operationally and then driving closer customer intimacy uh, through various channels and sometimes even new business services. But, but I think it doesn't have to be complicated. It's simply just leveraging the, the latest uh, technology to modernize your infrastructure to 
achieve better business results. Adrian, I think one of the most important things that you mentioned is driving efficiencies, operational efficiencies. And while a lot of this transformation does center around technology, it does affect employees. These changes because of the technology affect the way employees execute and do their jobs. So can you talk about how digital transformation affects company culture and affects the employees that are working at these organizations that are having to undergo technology transformations? Yeah, I think that's uh, th- that's a really good point. I, I think at the end of the day, um, digital transformation is not about being digital and it's not about technology. It's really about company culture and people. So I think that the, like there's a lot of talk about how does digital transformation affect company culture? And I think the answer is that it doesn't. Uh, company culture drives digital transformation. So you really have to, it's really important for the executives and the leaders of the company to start with mindsets, behaviors, and goals uh, to make the transformation a reality. Um, so if you look at, if you look at uh, uh, companies that are excelling with their uh, digital transformations, companies that are doing a really good job, uh, things that they have in common is that uh, employees are rewarded uh, for generating new ideas. They're encouraged to generate new ideas. They're actually encouraged and told that they need to take a, appropriate risks uh, in making their new ideas a reality. Uh, they're also guided to follow a test, learn, iterate model as they pursue uh, and develop new, op- new opportunities and make ideas real. And it's by practicing this cycle uh, over and over that companies can create a culture of creativity where constant innovation becomes the norm uh, because it becomes the behavior that's expected. Um, so I, I think that uh, driving digital transformation really is about uh, people and culture. And it's about defining, uh, the starting point is defining a strategy uh, and a vision, communicating that to the employees, uh, getting their uh, commitment and buy-in to execute that vision, the whole why behind why the company has to change, uh, and then letting them drive the transformation and identifying the opportunities and implementing, implementing the new realities. So digital transformation, whenever you look at companies that aren't doing well, they take the complete opposite approach. They t- typically start with technology first. They'll make a big investment in technology, uh, implement it, and then force people to use it. They're less likely to emphasize mindsets, behaviors, and goals. They're less likely to focus on earning uh, the workforce's commitment in making whatever the vision is a reality. And then often they're, they're usually not doing a good job of communicating what the vision even is. So um, how it affects people uh, on the job is that it really is their responsibility uh, to make the corporate vision a reality by uh, creating new ideas and delivering success. Would you say that utilities and energy companies recently, or I guess traditionally, have fallen on that on the second half, or they kind of align with the, the second type of organization that you were talking about that doesn't really take into account mindset. And that's why like employee mindset and what drives employees. And that's why they've been struggling with digital transformation. 
or why do you think that utilities and energy companies have, have struggled so much with digital transformation? Yeah, so the, I think those, re, those root causes, what's interesting is those root causes for what makes a digital transformation effort fail, um, that is seen across the board in any industry. It is just what, what makes the digital transformation fail. Um, so what, uh, what's unique about the energy and utilities is I think that uh, there's, there's less practice in doing it. So when you look at industries that are uh, digitally transforming, uh, energy and utilities tend to be the last, uh, the last group in the race. So I think it's because they haven't been around it long enough that they're still uh, developing the competency around it. Uh, but those root causes exist everywhere. And those root causes, it, it has a trickle-down effect from, from the top uh, on down. So not defining a vision and strategy is, is um, a first mistake. Uh, not communicating it is, is another mistake. And then letting technology drive the transformation in terms of thinking, um, well, what's cool new tech out there and how do I, how do I use it? That, that's the wrong approach. You really have to look at the workflows, the tasks, and the people that are driving uh, the outcomes that you're looking for. And then thinking about how do I manipulate those uh, to achieve better results? And then, and then in your thinking about how to manipulate those workflows to uh, achieve better results, that's where you start identifying where uh, emerging or uh, other technology can play a critical role in making tasks uh, easier or uh, driving uh, satisfaction in different areas. In the intro, I mentioned that I had you know, tagged along on some of the projects that you've worked on. I went with you to um, a few nuclear facilities while you were interviewing different employees there over their workflows. And from what I gathered while, you know, kind of being part of that project is that energy companies have been focused on what you mentioned, what is the, like, the cool new technology and how can we adopt that? Have you seen that in other areas, you know, outside of nuclear when you're working with energy companies across the board that they still kind of are focused on just trying to identify what the cool new technology is and then adopting it? Uh, totally. So it, it, a lot of a lot of the experience uh, that I've seen is that uh, I do see teams make the mistake of letting the technology drive all other decisions. Uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of what I do is education around uh, the importance of uh, focusing on the workflows and the results uh, that we're after, and then getting uh, getting teams to define and articulate those results up front, and then making sure that that aligns to whatever the larger business strategy is, and then and then um, letting that drive the show. So uh, a lot of times, I get I get project briefs where it's. Um, Hey, we want to do this with this technology, and then you then you ask why, and the answers aren't really uh, the ones that you that we need to be successful. So that, then there's a lot of conversation about, um, well, what are the objectives? How does this tie into the long term vision, et cetera, et cetera? And then after we uh, define those things, then the rest tends to run smooth. Um, and 
I mean, I, I will say th these projects do run successful once you once you define the objectives, focus on the workflows. And there's been um, a few projects where I've been a part of where the teams have an idea for investing in one particular technology, but then by uh, communicating how that fits into the workflow, how that really achieves the output we're looking for, then it becomes clear that, that maybe that technology isn't the right fit. So then we end up adjusting to something else. So several projects where we went from um, uh, what would have been an iPad to uh, an, I, uh, an Apple Watch or what would have been an investment in uh, one backend system actually becomes a, a different one. Uh, multiple projects like that. And usually you can get projects back, even if it has that starting point to where teams are just really focused on the shiny object, you can get things back on track by uh, sticking to the objectives and then making sure it's clear how it fits into the workflow. That usually is the corrective action to get a successful outcome. Uh, I see that happen all the time. So it, it kind of sounds like you're saying in your experience, these organizations are focusing a lot on what they think they want to do, but not really like why they want to do it and, totally. and what contributes to, to the why. Totally. And, and it's not, and by the time uh, I get involved in, and from what I've seen, it's not that it's a failure at that point. So it's just a matter of uh, getting it back on track. And those are usually the things that will get it back on track, focusing on the why uh, and the objectives and then, and then, the people and the workflows and then letting that drive the, the technology because it becomes clear how if if uh, if sites are set on one technology but it doesn't fit everything else it becomes pretty obvious and it works itself out but i will say i so i, I will say i have seen companies that are doing it the right way that are really focused on uh employee satisfaction and retention and really are uh, mandated with delivering a, a strategic objective. So it's not to say that I haven't seen projects that are just run uh, really well and, and done right from the beginning. Uh, th that does exist too. What advice would you give to decision makers looking to undergo uh, digital transformation projects so that their, so that their uh, plans are going to encounter as few road bumps as possible? Right. Yeah, I would say what are the uh, what are the objectives and, and what's the strategy? So I would say um, first, uh, define a vision before you invest in anything. Understand what you want to accomplish uh, before you invest in anything and then map out workflows and, and business processes and un understand the people and the personas. With that, understand with those three things aligned, uh, then you'll be able to think about how do I manipulate the process or insert the right tech to achieve the objectives. So always focus on the on the objectives and the results, not so much the technology. So if you're in a situation where uh, you're seeing, oh, well, uh, uh, our competitors using drones, uh, so let's buy them too or something like that. Uh, if it's If it's a matter of let's just buy this tech to... Uh, be like everyone else, that's usually a, a red flag. You really want to focus on what you want to achieve because who knows, your competitor may have in, uh, invested in drones and they shouldn't have. So uh, doing it because others are doing it isn't, uh, isn't usually the right approach. I want to focus on the third piece that you just talked about, which was mapping out workflows, defining personas. This isn't something that 
really utilities or energy companies have traditionally had to do in the past? Or from what my experience, they haven't had to do that. Do you even think that utilities and energy companies are capable to do that work by themselves? Do you, do you feel like utilities and energy companies really can get a good grasp on workflows and personas without someone else coming in and doing those observations and kind of giving an, an objective view to it? Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I think there's always um, there's always promise uh, in and the possibility to do it internally. So that folk, that really is a matter of uh, focusing on people, mindsets, and behaviors. Uh, and it really is, um, I would say, starting small and then scaling up uh, by understanding your current skills and capabilities and then getting the ones that you need and then applying them in the right way. So uh, what... What I think is is important is, yes, it is totally possible for a company to do, map out this stuff on their own and be successful on their own, but it does it also depends on having the right skills and capabilities. And so it may be a matter of uh, training people up through experience. Uh, and then once you're once you're uh, developing that competency, then then scaling that practice up. Um, You'll, so the, the short answer is, yes, they can do it on their own, but they will need the skills to do it. And that's totally possible to develop those skills in-house. One thing I, I know you've come across and a challenge that you guys consistently have to address is pushback from employees to change how they do things simply because they like doing things the way they've always done it and it works for them or for some other reason they're resistant to change um, because they don't want to do extra work. I, I know that you've had trouble dealing with kind of like unions and, and other, I guess, some employee side challenges. How do you work with the folks who are saying, I don't want to do this because what I already do works for me and that's good enough. Yeah. So it really is a matter of listening. Um, I think w with any large scale change, uh, or you know what, even for small scale changes, I think any any just inherent change in things, there's always going to be three groups. There's always going to be the the resistors, uh, the people who want to keep things as usual and do not want to change. Uh, then there's going to be the fence sitters, the people that uh, could go either way, and then there's going to be the the promoters. So the people that want and welcome change and, and wish things were different. Um, with the group with the resistors, there's a lot of ways to mitigate the resistance. Um, and that, that's why I really stress the importance of uh, vision and strategy, because once, you, once you've defined that, then you can start communicating to the workforce of how the business needs to change in the future and how it's really going to be up to them to get there. This way... Um, the employees understand the why behind why is a group showing up and, and mapping out business processes or why are they asked to communicate business processes or why was a new application or something new um, 
new implemented on a job that that's causing them to have to learn to work different. So a way to meet that uh, resistance, uh, uh, one way is uh, communicating uh, from the top down below that change is happening and we need their help. Uh, the other way is, well, it's not another way, but it's a part of it. So a part of it is also um, understanding their points of resistance. So this is where good listening comes into play and really understanding what they're troubled with and what the resistance points are and then coming up with ways to find middle ground and and uh, satisfy their needs. So this can come in a multitude of ways, but through uh, communication, through uh, policies, right into the technology design. Um, other ways to, so another technique that a team can use is um, bringing in bringing in uh, leaders of the workforce, pe the people that everyone um, uh, respects and has a lot of social influence at a local level. So if you're trying to do a, a large strategic change for uh, maybe 13 different locations, how do you find the leaders of the group, one at each location, and then using them to communicate the changes to their workforce. So if you get their buy-in and their commitment, the, the people that are the strong influencers of their group, and they're happy uh, about the changes that are that are coming, uh, and they're excited about the new tech that's coming, and then you use them as the people to communicate that change uh, to others and to let them know, hey, it's really not so bad. It's actually a, a pretty cool thing that we're doing. Uh, that helps, uh, all those things help reduce the resistance. So I think there's a lot of techniques and strategies to, to reduce the resistance. Um, and it really, it, it, uh, contextual inquiries play a big part into understanding what those res resistance points are. And at the end of the day, uh, mitigating resistance uh, can't be uh, falsified. I think you have to be genuine. It requires a culture that really cares about their people, wants to make them happy. And, and meeting and mitigating the resistance has to come from a genuine place of uh, care and uh, empathy rather, rather than a, a, a sort of, it can't be a falsified manipulation tactic. It needs to be sincere. So I, I actually, I want to go back to something uh, you said a little bit ago that I thought that has just kind of been rattling around in my head since you said it, which was that, um, is that there essentially with, with a lot of these processes, uh, and there's, you said there's like always a way to do it, to do it in house. And I, and I wonder if there's a certain, if there's a certain, if not apathy, but sort of, uh, mentality among decision makers in the utility space that because uh, digital transformation seems like this sort of abstraction that, buying that buying it that buying a technology and having the having the vendor essentially facilitate the onboarding and everything um means that they can just make that one decision and wash their hands of it rather than the the multitude of decisions that uh you've just very helpfully laid out um and i guess the question is how do you sort of combat that 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 attitude uh in terms of how it's going to long-term affect your uh, your operations and your company culture? It depends on what level of the organization you're talking to because long-term sustainable change and improvement, true transformation, one to where there's a permanent change. We just operate 
We operate better now and different now uh, from here on into the future. That kind of change happens at the executive level. And without the executive level buy-in, you're not going to make, it's unlikely that you'll hit uh, sustained change. And it's unlikely that somebody like me, uh, and unless I'm talking to the organization at that level, it's unlike it's unlikely that somebody like me will talk to someone at a project manager level and get them to uh, create long-term sustainable change. So it really does matter the level of organization you talk to. So how we engage um, an executive team member and the kinds of conversations we have with them are very different than uh, how we would engage in the kinds of conversations we would have with a project manager who uh, needs to implement the, those where those decisions are already made and they just need to implement some tech or they need to quickly identify what they need to implement. Uh, well, they need to quickly identify what they need to implement for uh, a piece of their business that they've already, that they've already um, targeted as valuable for optimization. Um, and at that level, so at the project manager level, if we were to engage with them, uh, and, and, and try to get them to think more long-term. Uh, again, it, it really goes back to uh, mapping out a thorough, a thorough business process, um, identifying, so creating a business case of if we optimize uh, in various parts uh, at certain levels, what would the business case and the value be? And then understanding um, in order to achieve those results, what is the stepwise change that we would need over time, given where you are right now? So that that's at the project manager level, showing that picture is how you can make a, a seemingly tactical project more long term for a for a uh, greater good that that would exist beyond the project. So that's how you get you start thinking um, more long-term and strategically. And eventually, if, it, you know, if that continues, you'll, you'll tie things to the corporate strategy if you keep asking enough questions um, and, and, and making sure that people stick to the objectives. Uh, but it would be impossible, uh, I would say, to talk to a project manager and then get them to think about long-term sustainable change for the overall organization. I don't think that's possible. That has to come from the executive level. So it's only until you get that kind of buy-in that you can really think about that long-term strategy for sustained change. Let's let's try let's try and practice what we preach and get a little practical here. You are brought in. Um, let's say you're you're working at at that level, at that project manager level, and and you're brought in um, to consult on optimizing the process of the digital transformation. Um, you know, without getting into enough specifics to get you into trouble, what does a typical uh, one, what does a typical one of those projects look like? What what is what and what is your role in that uh, entail from just like start to finish? Uh, what what are the what are the what are the key what are the key points and then how do you present that? Uh, sure. So I think I think a, a bit of a template uh, for for what a project looks like. Uh, that's a little bit gen- I, I think that's a good um, a good conversation to have, and I can tell you about one a little bit more specific um so i so first and foremost i think you have to uh, have a vision uh and strategy for where you want your company to be before you invest in anything so this is a matter of looking at uh 
where are we relative to uh, competitors? Where do we want to improve? How do we close the gap to our competitors or take the lead? What kind of technologies will get us there? And then once you once you have a plan for where you want to be or a vision for where you want to be, then you need to start mapping out the critical processes that actually get you there. So that is about mapping out the, uh, the employee workflows, uh, the tasks within those workflows, uh, the customer journeys, and the overall current state of employee and customer experiences that relate to uh, the tasks and the emotions. So how satisfied are they through this overall experience? Um, once you've mapped out the processes, then you can think about um, what needs to change to meet what, uh, whatever the objectives are for your vision. Um, here's where it's really important to stick to objectives. So one, define and stick to objectives. So once you have your, your workflow mapped out, you can think about, uh, okay, well, if we want to be faster at delivery, what are the cycle times for the key tasks that we know about? Um, what's our baseline today? So what's the average cycle time for these, these key phases, these key tasks now? What's it, what are the root causes for um, uh, driving the times uh, as they are today? And then you can think about, well, how do we, if we're, um, if, if it takes uh, an hour to do a certain output, or actually I've seen things as long as a month or six months, if it takes six months to do this task, uh, how do we get it down to three months or shorter than that, or at some benchmark relative to your competitor? You can start doing this along the entire uh, workflow of, of the business processes. And then that, so from understanding the workflow and the tasks, and then the KPIs you want to hit, then you can start looking at, well, how do I, what technology is out there that can make it a reality? Um, is it even achievable given the, the current uh, technology? Uh, so this is where I think it's really uh, like a, a project uh, that I can think of recently. Uh, everybody wants to talk about uh, AI and how it fits into the business. And I think AI is a perfect example where people say, well, we just got to have AI. Let's, let's get that in here. Um, but by, with, with one client mapping out a, a workflow, the cycle time for a critical task was literally uh, six to eight months to, to, to identify something and then find uh, analogous, uh, analogous imagery uh, across the entire enterprise's data set, which was massive and totally uh, diverse. And then so we thought, well, by understanding what the actual task is, what the goal of the task is, and the objectives we're trying to achieve, we realize this is a perfect, great case uh, for artificial intelligence uh, image recognition system where um, the target, so we, we've taken tasks that, that take, used to take half a year uh, down to a day to do, to do certain tasks. And, and it's a huge improvement, but th that's the core value of, well, where does, what are the workflows? How do we manipulate them to achieve the objectives? What technology will get us there? Uh, I think that's, that's a, a generic across the board uh, that everyone, that every company is going to have to do if they want to digitally transform. Uh, another piece of that, so after you've, you've defined uh, the, the workflow, how you want to manipulate the, uh, the KPIs, you also have to think about the business case. So because you're going to be spending 
uh, capital dollars at some point, everybody's going to want to know, well, what does this actually get us besides achieving the results in financial numbers? Um, so by, by doing these baselines and then determining where you want to be, uh, knowing the difference, uh, you'll be able to estimate the, the financial impact by achieving that difference of where you are now, where you want to be in the future. And I, I think this is an under-discussed thing because it's not just like, let's say your error rate is 20% on a, on a workflow and a critical task. And as a part of your strategic objectives, you want to take that 20% down to 5%. And then you want to know the, the financial impact of, of uh, reducing by 15%. Um, th this is really important because once you know that, once you know you need to be at 5%, that that knowledge needs to trickle down all the way to the design team to where to where you start writing your requirements and your user experience objectives to say this task has to be done uh, in this amount of time or it needs to reduce this amount of error for the project to be a go for it to be successful for us to hit our objectives and then whenever once you get into the design phase of of the project designers can start thinking well, how do I achieve this in this amount of time? Or how do I remove this much error? Um, and then whenever you get to the testing phase, um, you can start testing. Uh, did I, am I actually hitting these KPIs? So as you do your usability testing or whatever, uh, uh, various kinds of testing throughout your uh, production cycle, you can start testing, am I hitting that KPI I need to hit uh, in order to uh, deliver the results? Uh, a reason why this is important is because a lot of times I see this get lost in translation whenever you're going from idea to reality. That is why um, if you look at if you look at the success rates in digital transformation, uh, only roughly 30 percent, 30 percent succeed, uh, around 70 percent fail. A reason is that uh, the the goals of the project weren't followed throughout the entire production cycle to where if a business case is developed saying, hey, let's implement AI and it'll reduce error by 15% and you build your business case around that. As, as the project becomes more real and it trickles down to design and engineering and implementation, uh, oftentimes that knowledge of what the KPI needs to be to deliver the financial impact gets lost in translation. And then more oftentimes than that, uh, the usability testing and the UAT testing and all that does not uh, does not consider what the KPI needs to be, and it doesn't test against that KPI uh, that the project needs to be uh, to be successful. Um, so, so I think that's a really important piece. Is once you map out the process, you think about how to manipulate the process. You have to think about the business case that that creates, and then you need to make sure that the business case knowledge translates down to design, prototyping, and testing. Uh, so that way, when it's implemented, uh, you hit that result and uh, the satisfaction is where it needs to be because you've, you've tested the sentiment all along the way, too. So I think that's the generic template uh, that you follow in, in getting the work done. But I, I do want to mention something that the success. So even if you go through all the particular steps and you do all the, the critical activities, a lot of times it's the the finesse in the delivery that really dictates your, your success. And so what that means is you need to have a focused effort independent of examining workflows 
and uh, designing for results and engineering for results. So alongside that track, you need to have a focused effort on uh, mindsets, uh, behaviors, and culture. And so this, this is really the exercise of understanding your resistors, understanding your promoters, understanding how you're managing the communication for all the change that's going to happen. And um, by doing all this, you're able, to, you're able to achieve higher adoption levels because it may be the case, if you, if you don't do that, it may very well be the case, as I, as I have seen uh, more than once, is that you can go through all the process and you can come up with a technology that looks really great. And then you show it to people and then they're just totally happy with it. And they think, man, why can't I get this today? And then sometimes the news is, well, you can get it today. You just go to the app store, uh, your enterprise app store and download it and you can be using it today. And then the customer had no idea or the employee had no idea they could use it. And that's because there wasn't a focused track in managing communications, uh, mindsets, setting expectations. So that way, whenever you implement, there's you're actually driving adoption, not just a, a well-designed technology. I think that's that's a really important uh, piece to that everybody should know about. That uh, it's more than just user experience uh, or, or user-centered design. A lot of times, companies try to use user experience as the solution to fix their adoption problem, and that's really. Uh, only half the story. You have to focus on user experience, and then you also have to focus on uh, adoption, communications, mindsets, and behaviors. Adrian, do you have any specific examples of uh, of a project that you think uh, demonstrates what you've laid out here? Yeah, I have one that comes to mind that I think ties everything together: the the business mapping, the people, and the tech, uh, and the mindset, and the culture, and, and all that. I, I think it's. Uh, it, it really hits all the elements here. So uh, we doing uh, doing business with a uh, solar uh, power plant, and they have a strategic vision and mandate uh, that has a a host of things that they need to do. Uh, one of those is um, uh, reducing the operational cost for their field maintenance teams. And the biggest cost factor right now, they've already succeeded in, in managing the costs in other areas, and they, they already have great results for, for, um, uh, for certain parts of it. But So now the, the biggest cost that they're looking at is um, driving efficiencies for planning and scheduling. Uh, planning and scheduling tasks and then, and then having workers uh, dispatched from their location to go do the maintenance tasks, close out the work order. So that whole workflow is, uh, needs to be optimized. Uh, that's their, their biggest cost uh, right now. Now, the issue, now that sounds uh, manageable enough. Okay, how do I do, like, okay, I, I got to optimize planning and schedule. Seems manage, manageable enough. But then you have to consider that, um, they have an American team, a North American team. Uh, they have Europe, they have the Middle East, and they have Africa. Oh, it's like, oh, okay, so how am I going to actually optimize planning and scheduling? What's going to be the plan to do that in all these different areas? So that way I can have a universal uh, business improvement, not just an isolated uh, business improvement at, at one location. So what we're doing is, is we had to start by thinking about the person who's driving this change and who's responsible for it, where are their um, 
connections today? So do they have uh, strong connections uh, with uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa to where we can uh, email them, show up on site, get cooperation, and, and all that? So sometimes it becomes really practical of where does the stakeholder uh, have connections that we can start leveraging to start moving quickly. And it turns out that these, these stakeholder, uh, all their contacts and people that they know within the business is in North America. So we've started, uh, we've started here. So what we're going to do is map out uh, the uh, North American uh, workflows and business process for planning and scheduling parallel to mapping out the work process. We're also going to have a tech inquiry. So that way coming out of the business process, um, phase, we're going to know their um, technology setup at all the different locations they have. Uh, together, we're going to, taking these two things together, we're going to come up with um, a work, a mini workshop to start defining uh, requirements to start designing and prototyping against. Once we start designing and prototyping, we're going to uh, uh, build and implement in the North American site uh, as a POC pilot. Parallel to implementing uh, the POC pilot and engineering the POC pilot for North America, we're gonna take the designs and prototypes and do demos, roadshows, and get feedback for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, this is gonna help them understand uh, how this application and how the vision and the look and feel of it ties to the corporate strategy. This is also gonna be a tool for getting their commitment and buy-in to uh, joining the cause to adopting this technology once it's ready. It's also going to serve as an opportunity for these locations uh, and, and stakeholders to give their feedback on how the design and prototype needs to be adjusted uh, to meet their specific needs. So then we're going to be able to come out of these demos and feedback session alongside the, uh, alongside the POC engineering uh, with a roadmap for global requirements so we're going to know exactly what the what all the uh, the entire business needs in order to have a successful application and so the the plan is to get everybody feeling good about this visionary aspect of of what the design would be collect their feedback get their commitment to it um and then right around that when that phase ends uh the plan is to be ready uh to implement a poc in the north american site and then achieve the business results that we're looking for. If we can show that we, we've achieved the results that we're looking for at the North American site, then we can start building case studies and start communicating those case studies to the other locations and say that with their feedback, their commitment, we can achieve the same results there. Uh, and then this would spur the, uh, once we've accomplished that, this would uh, uh, spur the scaling stage where we start um, scaling the POC beyond North America and start going after uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa as well. So th this whole process, thinking holistically, not just the what's the what's the tech, what's the design phase, what, what's the business process mapping, it's also considering the, the people, the mindsets, the expectations, how we're communicating things in, in the delivery. All this stuff needs to come together to have a successful project. And I think that that was the project that came to mind where you're dealing with multiple locations, multiple geographies, multiple cultures, multiple needs, but then you're wrapping it into one project and considering everybody's uh, point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Adrian, for being on the show today and for laying out that uh, that 
comp that comprehensive approach to digital transformation. Uh, it's important as we as we go forward into the 21st century to realize how these ideas are, you know, forming out of abstraction into actual practice. So th thank you for helping us dive into that. Cool. Hopefully it was uh, useful. Uh, I, it was it was very much useful. Thank you. And uh, Aaron, th thanks for being here and, a and asking uh, important questions about internal process change. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Adrian. I'm really excited to continue exploring this area. I think everybody within energy and utilities is starting to understand how important digital transformation is. It's here. Now is the time to start undertaking these pro projects. Within the last two years, I think that realization has come to fruition with a lot of folks. It's not, it's no longer, this is something we need to be thinking about doing in the next few years. It's, this is the time to start doing it. So I was happy to have Adrian on the show today to talk through some of these things. And I really expect this to be an area we we keep exploring absolutely Aaron um, we are gonna we are almost certainly gonna be checking back in on utility digital transformation um, in in practicality over the next several years I would imagine but anyway you can find our research in media at zprime.com you can find us on social media at dy Lockwood at Aaron Hardick at zprime underscore research my name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time.